Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey Santa, you could win in APCO's Cash for Chrissy competition. That's right, APCO Joe. There's 1K to brighten your day. And 1K to give away to a mate for Christmas. APCO's Cash for Chrissy, on now at APCO. <laughs> it's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. Anyway, let's wrap into it. Well, last night, Sonny Bill Williams was declared the king of Sydney. Sonny Bill probably more the boxer. Hall has been hit and Hall is down again. Wow, Sonny Bill is putting on a performance here. Six, He's seven, annihilating Barry in this, hour, in this round. He's got to hold him. This is a long 70 seconds for Barry Hall. It's yes, it was an absolute bashing of Barry Hall and one that will fill SBW with a lot of confidence moving forward in his boxing career. Sonny was trained and supported by a genius of the sport and Andy Lee, a former world champion himself. The Irishman has become a powerhouse in the training game and is getting the results. Gavin Casey is a brilliant boxing journalist for the 42i.e, and he got a look inside Sonny's camp with Andy, and he's on the line with us now. G'day, Gavin. How are you, my friend? Good to talk to you. We're very, very well. Thank you so much for coming on our show, mate. What did you make of that performance? It blew me away, actually, and I don't mean to overstate it, because, look, Barry Hall has had one professional fight, but... On the flip side of that coin, he has boxing pedigree from his youth in Australia. He probably has pedigree in throwing hands in the AFL and in international rules series against <laughs> Ireland as well. He's a, a bit of a cult villain in sporting circles over here. And equally, his, his first professional fight in November of 2019 against NRL legend Paul Gallen was a really creditable draw. I mean, Gallen was 9-0 and mm. with 5 KOs going into that bout. So when I met with Andy and Sonny, I, I wouldn't be afraid to say that there was an element of concern that they shared about taking on Barry Hall. I heard I, I heard you read one of your listeners' texts calling Hall a donkey. It's probably a little bit unkind. Maybe Sonny Bill was just good enough <laughs> yeah. last night that he made him yeah. look like a donkey. Um, but it, it was a it was a very different type of performance to what I would have expected from Sonny Bill. I thought, based on what he had been saying about the fight and based on that sort of concern around it, he might be a little bit more cautious and ease his way into it. But Andy Lee at the moment yeah. is turning his heavyweights into killers. You've got Joey Parker uh, on the front foot mm. against Derek Chisora, dropping him multiple times. 
you've got Tyson Fury who's suddenly become a, a bit of a puncher and almost a knockout artist in his own right. And now you've got Sonny Bill who's uh, blowing guys away and around. It bodes pretty well. All right, all right. Let's, let's get this out of the way. I'm just going off on topic here. You've brought it up. Joey Parker. Will Joey Parker fight Tyson Fury? I don't know. I think they're too friendly, aren't they, at this point? It, it, it would feel weird. Told I, I you! Think them it would almost be like... <laughs> I, in fairness, listen, I'm, I'm sure you can get him on the show. He might tell you otherwise, but I got the impression it would be like a brother fighting a brother. They're almost like the Klitschko's in a way, you know? Um, and maybe they wouldn't necessarily like to... Uh, to pit their wits against each other. Who knows? I mean, if the money was right and if they yeah. felt they could have a bit of fun with it, why not? Okay, okay. We just had a little bit at the start of the show, me and Louis, whom what, and we were going off for about 10 minutes saying they would. I said they wouldn't. He said they would. So I just said, I just said that I, I think that they would, uh, exactly as Gavin put it, if the money was right, you'd never say never. And um, I think that's bang on. Anyway, okay. s- sidetrack, sidetrack. But Gavin, you're right. Sonny Bill. <laughs> He was unbelievable last night. I thought the way he kind of bounced off the ropes, every time they got split up, he was just charging at him. Did you see some some sort of confidence or some sort of aggression that Andy has been able to unlock in him? Mm. Hugely, yeah, hugely. Um, what was really fascinating for me watching them from, say, ringside when Sonny Bill was sparring an Irish heavyweight, uh, our top heavyweight at the moment, Niall Kennedy, who is a, a guard or a policeman over here, but has had a really good professional career in his own right. Now, Niall at the time was just off the couch. He hadn't been boxing in nine, ten months. He hadn't been training, but he has a lot more boxing pedigree than Sonny Bill, right? And if I watched those four rounds and if I was scoring them, and bearing in mind it's only sparring, you're not really scoring them, you would say Niall probably edged it like he just had that little bit more class about him. But what Andy was trying to impart in Sonny was almost as much as the technical aspect of his game was the body language, having the body language of a fighter. And, and even if he wasn't feeling assured, looking assured enough to put off your opponent from rushing in on you. And that was going back now to the end of January and bear in mind, bearing in mind that they've worked together over the intervening weeks. I thought you looked or you saw last night an, ex- an extremely confident Sonny Bill Williams, far more confident than the fighter mm. I saw in the gym in Dublin all those weeks ago. So it does go to show when you've got an elite athlete who understands high-performance training and preparation and you pair him with the right trainer, uh, massive steps can be taken, even in a sport as difficult as boxing. And as you say, Louis, he just looked like a man possessed in there last night, which is not the type of fighter that we've seen of Sonny Bill in his eight previous fights. Yeah, I love that. I love that. There's always questions with um, when Joey Parker, when he got a bit tired, his, his head would drop and, and things like that. But lately with Joey's last fight and then that fight, you could definitely see the body language and the mindset that these uh, fighters brought to, to the ring, mate. Is there any way, is there any way, like how far could Sonny go? Look, we've seen one fight and, and Andy Lee come out and said he could actually shake up the heavyweight division if he puts in a two solid years, can we, can we take too much out of this? And how far could Sonny go in your, in your eyes? I think there's a fascinating dichotomy between what Andy believes is possible for Sonny Bill and what Sonny Bill probably believes is possible for himself at the moment. I think Sonny Bill is looking mm-hmm. at things a little bit more pragmatically. You heard him mention the fight with Paul Gallen in the post-fight interview and the crowd was roused mm-hmm. a little bit by that. That's an option for him. And it might be a nice little stage into potentially more dangerous fights against, say, full-time career boxers. To answer your question as to how far I think he can go, like, it's, uh, do I think he can go on and become heavyweight champion of the world? No. And I'm aware that you guys are only waking up. I don't want to make you cranky or anything. 
but I do think he can yeah. make steps into the division and actually carve a, a decent, legitimate boxing career for himself. And what I would say mm. about Andy Lee, when he is proclaiming Sonny as somebody who can shake up the division, I know Andy quite well. This is not a guy who, who wastes his time with fighters. Andy is a family man. He has kids at home, uh, a wife that he adores, and he's not going to spend eight to ten weeks in a training camp with a guy who he doesn't believe can go further. Yeah. And if you looked at Andy Lee's reaction to Sonny Bill's victory last night, and if you look at the work that they have put in together, Andy believes what he is saying. And... To be honest with you, he's more qualified to answer the question than I am. So I, yeah. maybe you can take it at yeah. face value and we see what happens. Gavin, it's such a good point. And, and Andy actually came... Look, Andy's been so good to us. He, t- he answers the phone, I'm sure he is to you. Like, as a journalist, he's the dream, really, isn't he? He's always so willing and he is so honest. And he, he said that his wife said to him, you know, like, I will, you'll regret it if you don't go. Like, you, you need to see this through. He needs you. And it wasn't just about money. And you believe it when he says that. Is that the sort of guy he is and the sort of character he is? And, 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 you know, what is it about him that's resonating with these heavyweights? Where's the cut through coming from? I think there are probably two aspects to it. First and foremost, he is a legitimately good, fundamentally good person. And you mentioned there how he's a journalist dream. He certainly has been. I've been a, a sports journalist since, I don't know, 2015. I was lucky enough to cover the tail end of Andy's career and I just remember him. I was doing a college dissertation or thesis on Irish professional boxing. I remember getting Andy's number off somebody. We vaguely knew each other. I asked him, could he take a phone call to do a quick interview for this dissertation? He replies to me, no, nah, let's meet for coffee tomorrow. You know, I'll take you for lunch. He sits down with me for an hour and a half, gives me the best interview of my life. You know, that's kind of the guy he is. He'd go the extra step. And that was for a journalist, a, co- a student journalist, so you can imagine the extent to which he will go the extra step for his fighters. And on the other side of it then is you have this pedigree in Andy having trained in the legendary Cronk gym in Detroit for so long under a legendary trainer in Emmanuel Stewart. Then after Stewart's untimely tragic death, he works with a really good operator in England, Adam Booth, who's very good at, at getting inside the minds of his fighters and, and, and almost bending them to his shape. So Andy has got this... Um, fundamental quality of a guy that I think fighters, not only heavyweights, gravitate towards, but also Mm. has the technical acumen to improve them as fighters. And, um, you know, one thing I would say as well in relation to the heavyweights, he is also the cousin of Tyson Fury, which probably helps him to begin with to to get in the door (laughs) with some of these big names. And Tyson has recommended him to the likes of Parker. Through Parker, he meets Sonny Bill. So there's a, a bit of a chain effect to that as well. What was what was Andy like as a boxer himself, mate? And can you see him passing that knowledge to to Sonny and and particularly with Joe as well? Can you see him passing down his strengths and what he was so good at? What, what was he like as a, as a boxer himself, mate? He was a really classy boxer in his youth. He went to the 2004 Olympics for Ireland in Athens. He turned professional shortly afterwards in Detroit with Manny Stewart and was heralded as really one of the top prospects in world boxing. He was knocking guys out left, right, and center, and they were eye-catching, picturesque knockouts. And eventually he came unstuck at a quite formative stage of his career against a fighter uh, called Brian Vera, who stopped Andy on his feet. It was a massive shock, and it set back his confidence, as you'd understand, and also lowered his stock in the eyes of boxing consumers around the world. So it took him a while to get back around to that sort of fringe contention and then eventually fight for a world title. He loses to Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. 
I don't think I'm libeling the guy at this point to say, like, you know, if he took a urine test at all afterwards, it would have been luminous. Uh, I don't think there was drug testing. So it was a little bit of an asterisk next to that one. But he was, eventually he sort of, it was kind of a case of, at last, he got over the line in Vegas to win a world title. And what his strengths were, were a nuclear right hook that got him out of trouble quite a lot. But he was always a very cerebral Mm. boxer. And what I mean by that is he wouldn't necessarily rush in, actually, the way some of his heavyweights are doing now. He wasn't always the out-and-out aggressor. He thought a lot about what he was doing. He tried to get into a rhythm. And what I find interesting about him as a trainer, when I was watching Sonny Bill even hit the heavy bag in, in the gym in Monkstown Boxing Club over here, I mentioned Andy, like, you know, he's a nice uh, right uppercut and nice left jab. And Andy made the point that even with a fighter who was at the early stages of his career like Sonny Bill, he's not necessarily going to try to transform him. It's more about working on what he's good at to begin with. And Sonny Bill did, did bring with him some decent fundamentals. Andy is excellent at fine-tuning those and I think his real area of expertise is the mental side of the sport. He understands that and articulates it, more importantly, better than anybody really that I've ever met in boxing. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, we're, we're so proud. And we can see definitely the, the gains that him, and not only him, Joseph Parker is getting from being around Andy Lee and Tyson Fury, world-class training outfit and, and only reaping the rewards from that. Hey, quickly, before we let you go, Gavin, um, Irish rugby. Very, very impressive, heading in the right direction as of late. The All Blacks are slipping to third in the world, so she's pretty tired down here, mate. We're not used to being that far down on the on the pecking order, but Irish rugby, are you happy? Are the, uh, is everyone, all the supporters, happy with how the Irish rugby team has gone as of late? Well, firstly, Izzy, uh, can I just take the opportunity to thank you as a monster man for not joining Leinster in 2016. <laughs> oh, uh, you've haunted my dreams oh, for so long enough. so close. I was you so make, close to uh, mate. I know, I know. So you, you make your debut against Ireland in 2010, right? Obviously the All Blacks win. You spank us in three yeah. tests in 2012, 60 zip in the last one. I think you score a try off of Sonny Bill Grubber in that game, if I'm not mistaken. You yes, kick a conversion. You fast forward, we fast forward to 2016. We finally catch you guys on the hop, right? 111 years, yeah. Ireland beat New Zealand for the first time ever. You're rested for the game. Then you go to Dublin yeah. a couple of weeks later. You turn us over and you're starting again. <laughs> so maybe, uh, maybe they are. The curse of Izzy Dag. No, <laughs> exactly, the curse. I can't sleep at night. But uh, no, to answer your question very quickly, we're quietly, we're quietly happy, I think, with how things are going. Look, France won the Grand Slam. They looked magnificent. They looked magnificent against your boys as well in November, probably more impressively oh, than yeah. Ireland did. We know what's waiting for us in the long grass in July. Izzy, don't worry about that. But um, it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Scrum is an issue. We have a few months to work that out, and we'll see you down there. Yes, beautiful man. You've got a brain and a memory. You just brought back some solid memories. That's what I used to tell everyone when I retired. And I wasn't being a bit cocky, but I was like, I never lost to Ireland anyway. I was rested that game, so we never lost. <laughs> <laughs> Mate. It was uh, tough battles, honestly. That Dublin game in 2016, that was probably one of my toughest games. We only just beat you, I think, by five points. And the Dublin crowd, they are one to be able to witness, mate. You've got the most passionate supporters uh, that you support your team, and and you get right behind them, mate. Um, Really appreciate you on our show. Thank you so much, Kevin. You're a legend. Uh, My pleasure. My pleasure. Anytime. Let's talk in July. Absolutely. This is how you do it. Quizzy that can play it. This is how we do it. Quizzy that can play it.
Quizzes on the line, just one at a time. Don't Google a lie. Phone a friend, you'll be fine. Just listen for the signs. TAB with the prize. 50 bucks if you're wise. If you're wrong, and then we'll say goodbye. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. Quizzy, they come play it. Quizzy, they come play it. 0800. 150-811 Now give us a call This is how you do it Yes, that's right New quiz to start the Thursday Uncle will be up and about at his home Dancing to that one And we can't wait for him to bring a little bit of a What is it? Dr. Dre Hey, 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 Uncle Hey Anyway Woo I'm up now. Can't wait to rip into this quiz. We're going to get Simon on the line from Auckland. Morning, Simon. Morning, Izzy. Hey, brother. Uncle's away, so Louis's your friend today, hey? Hey. <laughs> 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 All right, brother. We'll rip into one. Rip into one. Question number one. Where do the All Blacks sit in the latest World Rugby Rankings? Five. Um, four. Three, two, one. Um, we'll go. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, got. (laughs) Try to stall there. Yeah, I'm gonna have to say. I'm gonna say sorry, brother. I'm gonna say sorry and have a cracking day, my bro. We're gonna go to Tim in Christchurch. Timmy, how are you, Izzy? Oh, I'm very, very good, this my friend. This is how we do it. Question number one. Where do the All Blacks sit in the latest world ranking, world rugby rankings? Third. Four. Yeah, they are third. Wow. You know what? Question number two. <laughs> Turds. Question number two. Poor old Barry Hall thought we'd show him some love. What year did Barry Hall win his only AFL premiership? Half of Kimpy's favourite number. No, sorry, sorry, uh, sorry, 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 sorry. Let me stop. Let me stop that. That was I had that. That was another clue. That's the next question. There you go. If you if you get, if you get through this one, if you get through this one, oh, use, use that for the next one. Um, <laughs> uh, Michael Michael Campbell won the US Open. Uh, Two thousand five. Yes. Okay. I don't even have to ask you the question. What is it? Three. <laughs> <laughs> Louis, Louis, get out of here, Louis. Wow. Okay, question number four. Who is the coach of Newcastle United football team? Five. Four. Uh, three. One. Gone. Sorry, Timmy, brother. Have a good day, my mate. We're going to get Luke and Dunedin. I got a great Luke clue as well. I got a great clue. <laughs> Luke, good morning. 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 Morning, morning, morning. Who was the coach of Newcastle United football team? Eddie Howe. This is how we do it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Here we go. Question number five to take it home, my friend. Which cricketing star won man of the match in the first ever IPL game? 
five, four. Oh, good. Phone a friend? What do you reckon? (sighs) Tough, mate. Nah. Nah, I reckon. (laughs) I'll go go bad. Have a stamp, bro. Have a guess. I'll go (laughs) bad. Well, you got, we got it right, mate. Pass from Dunedin and look from Dunedin. It's meant to be, brother. Well done. Nice, nice, nice. Thank you. Well, we are now ranked third. Third, I can't believe that, in the world. So what on earth is going on with our sport and what can we do about it? Jim Kays is all things code. He loves the sport and getting into the details of it. And he's with us now to solve some problems. Morning, Jim. Morning, Izzy. How are you, my friend? Great to have you on the show. You heard that. Are we in panic stations already, or are we just a bit harsh? Uh, no, I think there's some genuine concerns around the game. Um, mm. Yeah, where do you start? You know, uh, it was interesting. I was, I was listening to a couple of guys talk about school rugby the other day and, and how the numbers are dropping mm. away. We know the numbers have dropped away in, in the clubs. Uh, and, you know, if you talked about uh, Super Rugby Pacific and... For no fault of anyone's, you know, COVID has interfered and there's just been no momentum, yeah. has there? There's been no structure to it, no momentum, nothing to get it behind if you're, if you're a fan. And I think overall that means that there's a lot of people who are just disengaged from rugby um, as players, as fans, and, 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 you know, that's a real concern. I, I, think, I think there's some genuine concerns about our game. and It is still uh, Tony Kemp, it is still the national sport, but... Uh, <laughs> I think it's precarious, Israel. I, th- I think that, you know, if we're not mm. careful, um, boys in particular are not playing the game. The, the numbers are good with the with the girls coming through the schools. Yeah. So the woman's side of the game is very strong. But the boys' male side of the game, it's absolutely struggling. And, and you know, it'll be interesting to see what Mark Robinson and, and the New Zealand rugby union try to do about it. What, what do you feel? Why is it is it struggling? Is it a, a, the style of footy we're actually playing? Is it the refereeing? Is it the safety factors that a lot of parents are pulling their kids out because of concussions and safety measures within high school? Like, what what is the underlying factor you feel of why our national sport, the All Blacks brand, is not attracting the numbers that it used to? I think at a, at a, at a lower level, at the grassroots level, as, as the cliche goes, what you've said is, is mm. absolutely accurate. Um, I would add to that uh, changing work lives for people uh, and also the variety of sports that young fellas can do nowadays. You know, when I was a kid, you pretty much just played rugby uh, or football. Now there's a whole heap of stuff that people can do uh, in a sporting sense. I think also um, the game is extremely, has become uh, very gladiatorial. It's more a, a collision sport than a contact sport. And I think that's a significant mm. difference. You know, when it was a contact sport, um, it was more of a game for all sizes. And I think part of the problem is now you've, you've you know, you've got to be 100 kegs, you've got to be stripped, you've got to be all those sorts of things that we see yeah. at an All Blacks level. So if you're a young fella who's a little bit skinny, a little bit pudgy, a little bit short, a little bit tall and, and, and bean, bean polish, is the game still a game for you, you know? Um, and then it's just you've got to be near your fans I always think and and there's a disconnect between the young guys coming through and the players who are playing the game at the at the highest level so that they really get to see their stars it used to be a very uh, sport where you could um, 
be around some of your heroes all of the time, and I, and I think that's that sort of disappeared as well. But overwhelmingly, mate, the last three years has been out of everybody's control. So you've just seen COVID yeah. rip through the game. We haven't been able to have fans at the at the grounds, and that's had a massive, massive impact on the NPC and on um, Super Rugby and on the All Blacks. So hopefully, if we get back to a little bit of normality around sport, then things can start to flow again. But even before COVID, the number of boys playing the game was falling away and the numbers were propped up yeah. by the girls who had taken up the game. So somehow we've got to get boys back into playing the game of rugby. Uh, we've got Jim Kays on the line here. Double eight, double three. if you've got a question for Jim. Or, or let us know, how engaged are you with the sport at the moment? How engaged are you with our national game, rugby? Jim, Louis, Louis here, mate. I, I'm wondering, everything you say resonates with me, but... What's concerning is I feel like there is a few of us and, and lots of people actually about five years ago asking these questions, which I wonder if we were probably too insular at the time as a game or as a the body looking after the game and didn't quite acknowledge them. And now maybe we're starting to have these conversations. So first we need a solution, but then are we going to go through a bit of a down period while we actually try and re-engage? And are we actually going to see like a period that could take four, five, six years here before these solutions, if we find them, start coming into effect? Yeah, look, it might take it might take that time. Uh, and you're right, this has been talked about for a very long time. I've been covering the game for a long time and this sort of stuff has been talked about for a long time. There are, I think, some simple solutions. Why is rugby always played on mm. a Saturday? Uh, if I, my daughters played netball, their games were Tuesdays and Thursdays. For school sport, why don't we play it during the week when it's more when it's easier? If it's a rural school, why mm. don't they play during the day on a, on a Tuesday or Thursday or, or whatever day during the week when, when you've got those kids already at school and you're not having to bring them back to, to somewhere from a farm that might be an hour away? Um, and within the city... We all know how hard it is to get around Auckland uh, at peak hour. So why not play some of those sports during the week when it's easier to get, you know, you've already got them all together. Why, why is rugby not played straight after school on a Wednesday? You know, everybody's already at school. It's a simple thing to do. That's what a lot of other sports do. I've watched my, ne- my nephew play football after school on a, on, a, on a midweek. So not everything has to revolve around the traditional Saturday. Um, mm. That would be a really, really simple way uh, to get kids to play, what about a better connection between club and school? They used to, you know, so that um, you make sure that every team is full. You know, we we seem to have a little bit still of a competition between clubs, which try to field under fifteen, under seventeen, under nineteen teams, and schools, which are obviously fielding, uh, you know, similar sorts of age grade guys. So why why not have just one competition? Maybe maybe we need to have clubs that look after schools within the area. Uh, just little things like that, I think, would, would go a long way to, to solving these problems. And, and maybe looking at the type of game that's played at school, it doesn't need to be the collision sport that we see at a higher level because that is definitely putting some people off. You know, We know that everybody grows at different rates. Um, I was a skinny little fella right up until about seventh form. Well, actually, I was a skinny little fella right up until about senior rugby. Now I wish I was a skinny little fella again. Um, but, you know, you, you've got to cater to the, to the different people and the different sizes. Uh, so all, all yeah. sorts of things like that. But it's a definite issue. You know, I, I know that there are clubs that used to field 11 senior teams that now field maybe one or two. So it is an issue. The rugby union needs to address it. And they need to think outside the square and be a little bit more 
but but more flexible, uh, perhaps from the staging of games and when those games are going to be played. I love it, love it. Love it, Jim. Oh, you're very, very passionate. You've hit the nail on the head right there. And then another topic, mate, that very people are very, very passionate about is is the current game and how it's been refed and the rules. We've got a text message here. It's boring. There is too many rules. Do you feel like the way the game's been refed at the moment, the interpretation of all the laws, like the refs are being told to ref a certain way, so they're actually losing their instinctual fa- um, way of seeing how a game should be played? Do you feel like refs? Are being refed too much? Maybe. Referees are certainly under pressure to referee mm. the way that World Rugby wants them to referee so they get to the World Cup. And just like a player, the referee wants to get to the World yeah. Cup. So, yeah, look, I think that mm. there needs to be some... You need to have a look at that. But I tell you what, I get a bit fed up with the poor old referee copping it all the time because I go back to players yeah, yeah. and coaches. And players we and need coaches them in the game. Influence. Absolutely. And if you coach to mm. tackle high, if you coach to tackle around the around the nipple line, your margin for error is very, very low. So your ability to slip up from there is very, very low. If you coach to, to fly in at rucks, to take people out and around the side of rucks, to do all of those sorts of things, then you're opening yourself up for the referee to blow the whistle. So it has to be a three-way thing, doesn't it, fellas? You know, you've yeah. got the referee, yes, mm. but players need to take responsibility for not ballsing up the game by continuing to, to give away penalties. And coaches need to coach that way. On that note, here's something for you to think about as a wonderful fullback. If you got beaten by a guy, let's say that mm. it doesn't happen very often, is it? It's okay. Let's say when <laughs> it comes to you, the, the winner steps you, right? Yep. You don't yep. get penalised. You don't get penalised, do you? You've been beaten by a player and you don't get penalised. Mm. If we've got a scrum mm. and one prop absolutely murders the other prop, it becomes a penalty. Why is that? Mm. Yeah. Why is it that we penalise um, for being beaten by the opponent, but we don't penalise anyone else in, in, a, in a game of rugby for being beaten by their opponent? If we've got a line-out and Sam Whitelock pinches the ball off the opposition guy, that's not a penalty. It just baffles me that yeah. we have another little rule in there that slows the game down, you know? Yeah, just things like and that. that is the I question too, Ace. Slowing the game down is, is a big issue at the moment, oh, and, and that's no their one, way of trying to speed no it up. Which one, is not, mm. No one pays to watch scrums being reset, for God's sake, you know? <laughs> no. I, mean, I hate to say this, because JK will hear me say this, and, and he'll, he'll go on about it, but we actually pay to watch... We pay to watch you glory boys score dazzling tries. That's what people go along to watch, you know? <laughs> and you, Even better yeah. if you beat your man, look inside, find a loose board, pass to the loose board, that's, that's the ultimate <laughs> try. But, you know, scrums, resets, it's not why people pay to watch the game. So, that's, you know, they need to... I know they've grappled with it for a long time, but here's another question for you. Why is the scrum such a vehicle of domination? Why can't the scrum just be another way to restart the game? It's a pissing contest between guys that weigh 140 kgs. Why not have it just as <laughs> oh, another way to restart Jim, the game? Jim, Jim, you're in dangerous territory now because now Tony Kemp's saying, told you we should just all be playing rugby league. And, and he's... <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, don't want, I don't want that mess where they just fall in. <laughs> maybe, you, maybe you take a little bit of the, of the confrontational nature out of the scrum and say, hey, we, we need to get the game going again. It doesn't need to be 
this pissing contest between eight behemoths. Jim, you know? Jim, no, you make a great point. Now, I know you're passionate about this. We, we've talked a lot about the North this week and Six Nations, and especially down the, the point into that competition, how they managed to get flowing rugby and a lot of it down to France and just their magnificent game plan and attitude towards the game at the moment. But look, there's a lot to worry about as far as a performance level coming out of there compared to the All Blacks and maybe next year's World Cup. I know Kieran Crowley triggered some people this week saying that we're arrogant and we probably, righty right, and you, you and I agree. I don't think we're arrogant. I think we know exactly how big the mountain is to climb for the All Blacks. Can you just explain that a bit more? Yeah, I don't think the I think the All Black fan was arrogant, absolutely. But I think that arrogance has been knocked out of them in the last couple of years. Um, yeah. yeah, look, France are deserved favourites. They've played wonderful rugby, and they've got a, a young or a team that includes some some young guys like Dupont and Intermac, who came through that under twenty program where they won back to back world titles. So absolutely, they are a, a fantastic team. They've got a big forward pack. They've got a mobile and fit forward pack, and I think that's probably the concern for me. There's nothing at all wrong with, with uh, the All Blacks team from 6 back to 15. In fact, there's really nothing wrong with them in the tight five. But we just, the All Blacks just seem to have lost. They, 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 we used to say that the All Blacks were tight five, were fitter and faster and more skillful than anyone else. And I don't think that's the mm. case anymore. And that's the area for concern. I don't know if they've gone backwards, but they haven't gone forward far enough. So if you look at the Irish and the and the French Pipe Fives, you'd have to say that they have an edge over a significant edge over the All Blacks at the moment. But man, the World Cup's 18 months away. A lot of stuff can happen between now and the World Cup. Um, so I wouldn't be getting. I'm not too concerned at this stage, but certainly it, mm. the pressure is going to be on Ian Foster and his coaches. I think there's huge question marks around them still. Uh, I'm not convinced that they are good enough to take the All Blacks through to winning the World Cup. I, I would have preferred to see Razor in there with someone, some of some other people. But that's who we've got. Um, and really, mm. the asset has to go on the tight five. The rest of that All Blacks team, yeah. you've got to say, they match up all over the place. But a question for Israel, who's your second five? Yep. It's been a revolving door since the wonderful Ma'anonu retired. Uh, there's a lot of talk about Roger Turi versus Sheik. Uh, but who who is the second five for the All Blacks? Because I think that's a big part of part of their problem. They haven't had a second five that's been able to bail the forwards out and get over the advantage line and provide another platform for them. So I don't I don't know I don't know who that second five is, but that's a big question. Yeah. It's a big, big, big question. And look, that David Harvey, he is a different 12 compared to the 12s that we've had to be able to get you over the advantage. You're not going to get David Harvey running straight and hard and strong and getting you gain line. He's a different style of 12. Whether Roger Tuivasa can do that with his amazing footwork, from what I've seen, I've, I've had a lot of, um, seen a lot of positives for him, particularly shifting in there. Wherever they play Rico, that is the question. Can he go to centre, mm. ALB moving into 12? Look, they've got, they got options there, but it's what kind of 12 that they're after. We're not going to have that Nani Laomapi. We're not going to have that Ma'anonu who can get you gain line. It's trying to evolve our 12 into a 12 that can play his style of rugby. That is the question. Jim Case, we're going to have to let you go, mate. Uh, we really appreciate you on our show. Um, you're very passionate, very detailed as always, and you've got the text machine flying, so we'll get those covered <laughs> very, very shortly, Jim, but appreciate you on the show, mate. As always, Cheers, thank Jim. you very much. No worries. Thanks, guys. See you, fellas.
Time to catch up with our guy Tommy Abercrombie for Cork Kings. They design and build and install basketball heaven. Tom is back on the court after rehabbing a tough injury. The lads have a game later today against the Bullets, and Tom will be looking to right the ship. And he's on the line right now. Morena, Tommy. How are you, brother? Good morning, fellas. I'm doing well, thank you. Mate, how's, how's the body? I know you've had a couple of tough uh, games against the Perth Wildcats, uh, particularly the last one, mate. You're just, just going down in the end um, by two points. So a tough, been a tough campaign for you you and the lads. How, how are the boys, mate? How's the morale in the group? Yeah, look, um, we're okay. Um, we actually played played a couple of really good games against Perth, um, yeah, especially the one down in, down in Hobart. We Gave it to him, went to overtime, and, and just unfortunately lost some lost on the buzzer to a, to a tough, you know, Bryce Cotton three. Um, we went up to Perth and, and shot out of the gates and, and played some really nice basketball. Uh, unfortunately, we just couldn't couldn't continue to knock the shots down. The second half, they made some big plays, but um, look, we, we've played we've played a lot better these last few games. We've, we've had full squad together. Um, so hopefully we can just keep building on that and be consistent and uh, keep playing some nice basketball, let the ball work for us and um, take it to these guys tonight and finally get a win. Hey, Tom, what's the vibe in the camp at the moment, mate? Yeah, look, as, as I said, it's okay. Like, um, I think a lot of the times with, um, with sports, you know, you can you look at yourself in the mirror sort of after a game and, and you look at how you've played and... Um, those games where you just know that you haven't put in the effort or you, you haven't played your best, they're sometimes tough to they're tough to let go, they're tough to live with. But um, you know, as long as we can look at ourselves after a game and say, yeah, we, we put it all out there, you know, we we played how we want to play. They made some shots that you know, we said we we're going to live with, um, and they just made some tough ones. Then you know, it's never easy to lose, but it, it makes it. Um, a little bit easier to sort of move on to the next one after that. And I think these last couple of games, we, we, as I said, we've done some good things and we're starting to build a little bit of consistency. Unfortunately, you know, we, we're, we've finally got the, the squad together at this time of the season and trying to build that um, chemistry and things uh, is, is not the ideal time to do it. But um, I think we're getting better and better every game at the moment and hopefully we can finish strong. Hey mate, scoring probably hasn't hasn't been a problem for you, but but just around letting easy easy points in and and, and defensively probably just something that you want to you want to work on um, five and fifteen for the year. Is it an easy fix? Is it an easy fix? Is that an attitude? Is it is it just being where your mate needs you to be? Um, you know, working really hard off the ball to get into position. Is it is it relatively easy fix for you and the and the boys to to get to where you want to be? Uh, you know, like it was an easy fix. We'd, um, we'd be back in the winner's circle straight away. But um, yeah, as I think, defense isn't easy. Um, as you said, there's a lot of little things, a lot of one percenters, a lot of making extra efforts, uh, putting the body on the line, things like that. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, basketball, a lot of the times, defense just comes down to, to trying to make guys take as tough a shot as possible. And sometimes they make them. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a make and miss game. Um, and that's why you know, the NBA is so tough. You have those guys, those athletes who are so good at getting their own shots off. And you see them make yeah. these crazy shots all the time. Um, and at the end of the day, you just got to tip your hat sometimes to the players 
who are able to, to make those shots on a consistent basis. That's how we, we kind of found ourselves against Perth. Like we do a pretty good job uh, for the most part. We'd make them make a tough, you know, contested isolation shot. Um, and unfortunately, you know, those guys had a couple of you know, really good players who were able to make those shots on a consistent basis. But um, as I said, it's all about consistency, bring that effort every night. I think we've got all the pieces right now to be a really good defensive team. Uh, we've just got a shot. Hey, Tom, in your opinion, the quality of the NBL overall, has it continued to grow, do you think? For sure, for sure. It's, uh, it, it, it really is getting better and better every year, and I think the, you see it in the kind of standard of, of um, imports that are coming down here now. Um, you know, you've got guys like Bryce Cotton and um, you know, other, other big stars who, who sort of have that option um, not quite good enough to make the NBA and so what's, what's that next step for them if they go and play in, in Europe somewhere um, and I think still the EuroLeague is, is a step above what we're doing but um, that, that next sort of option seems to be the NBL and a lot of those guys who are trying to make it either back to the NBA or, or to the NBA in the first place are choosing the NBL now because it's a, it's a really good pathway uh, they can come to a, you know, an English speaking country and, and, and play in a, a league whose style probably and is closest to the NBA of any other league throughout the world. And you're seeing guys come here and sort of hone their craft and then go back and, and play in the NBA now. And there's, and there's stories of guys who have been able to make that transition. You see guys like uh, you know, Tory Craig, who came down here a number of years ago, played for, played for Brisbane, even went down and played for the Wellington Saints and has since played, you know, I think, eight years or something now in the NBA. Um, and the NBA was really a, a huge launching board for him to, to start that career for him. So I think guys are starting to see that now and the quality of the league continues to get better and better every year. What about Lamelo Ball? Lamelo Ball was only here about a year ago uh, playing in the NBL and now he is an absolute superstar over for the Charlotte Hornets. Um, did you face him? Did you get to play against Lamelo when he was down under and, and how impressive have you been with his uh, you know, transition straight over to the big time and just putting the league on notice? Yeah, I did, man. And to be honest, he's um, he surprised me. Like I, he, yeah. he's an incredibly talented player, and he was he was very very good when he came down here and played in the NBL. But he didn't play for long. He uh, he sort of had three or four massive massive games, and um, his stock just went through the roof, and he shut it down. Um, but he's gone over and just had an, an incredible start to his NBA career. So exciting and unique in how he plays. Uh, and that whole Next Stars program that he sort of come through has been a, a resounding success as well. And we've got, you know, two guys this year, Hugo Besson and Usman Dieng from uh, from France, young um, NBA draft prospects, who I think are you know, both um, slated to go in the first round in, in this year's NBA draft. Um, mm. So as I said, a lot of young guys, as well as older guys, are using the NBL as a pathway to, to get to the NBA Lamella was a fantastic example of, of how it can be done, and these guys like Hugo and Usa are following in his footsteps, and uh, we're trying to help them as much as we can make that next step and learn to play against men and um, learn to play in a fast-paced um, sort of style and environment and mm. learn, learn English a little bit for these guys. It's got all the mm. ingredients there um, to, be a, to be a really good stepping stone for the NBA. Nice, brother. Well, quickly before we let you go, we're going to get a little update on you and and how you're coping with being back. And are you is your body back to where you 
want it to be? Or if you feel like you've got a little bit extra to go before you get back to Tom Abercrombie dunking on everyone? <laughs> oh, man, a little, little bit extra to go. Obviously, like where, where my head thinks I should be and where my legs actually are, you know, there's a little bit of a gap there. But uh, every game, it's, it's getting closer and closer. I felt, felt uh, definitely the best I've felt so far in that last game against Perth. Um, so now slowly, slowly making strides to get better. And look, I'm just, I'm just stoked to be back out there with the guys and being part of the group again and being able to get back out on the road and, and help these guys and be around them and, um, you know, talk and, and try and be the, the captain that they sort of need at the moment. So uh, I'm enjoying that side of it. And yeah, as I said, hopefully that'll translate into some wins tonight. Nice, brother. Well, all the best for the rest of the season. It's good to see you back out there, Tom. We appreciate you here on Baz and Izzy for breakfast. That was our Court Kings catch-up with the one and only Tom Abercrombie. Thanks, brother. Cheers, fellas. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.